0: Good morning, we are here talking about community stories and with me today I've got assistant professor Thad Schunkweiler who is with the Department of Health Science here in the College of Allied Health and Nursing at Minnesota State University doing an interesting research project got a grant to do this project called Closing the Provider of Color Gap in Behavioral Health Care so we're going to chat a little bit about that and what that means Good morning, Thad.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, you have applied for this grant and received it, I believe, through the Mayo Health System, and it's pretty timely. It's about healthcare and also people of color. So let's chat a little bit about how this came about.
1: Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm first and foremost, I'm so grateful for the great people at Mayo Clinic Health Systems for uh, providing the opportunity to apply for money to focus on projects looking at bridging the um, the gaps in diversity and inclusion, so I first and foremost want to thank them for this opportunity. But this really came about from some work that I've been doing for the past few years, actually. And so, a few years back, I started looking at how many behavioral health providers we had in Minnesota. And if you think about what a behavioral health provider is, it's somebody who treats mental health issues.
0: I mean, I think of psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, that sort of thing.
1: Yep, all the way up from psychiatry down to drug and alcohol counselors and everything in between. And so I started looking at the number of those professionals that we had in Minnesota. And as I was digging through that data, I realized that we're in big trouble because we currently don't have enough of them, right? I mean, if you needed to go and make an appointment at one of these clinics, The wait times are often weeks uh, to see somebody.
0: And we in this pandemic have been seeing people with more mental health problems, including suicides and very serious issues.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so the problem is currently bad. And one of the things that I did in my research was, looking forward. And so I projected based on the years of practice and how long people were going to be planning on staying in the field. And one of the things that I uncovered was that we're about to lose half of our current practicing behavioral health providers in the next 10 years. Because of retirement or? Most often retirement. And then there's also the burnout, people leaving the profession. And so if you're talking about a profession that is already short and then you start projecting out 10 years, um, we currently have a problem. But I suspect that in 10 years, it'll be a crisis. And so that really, got me started looking at the numbers of behavioral health professionals that we had here in this state, what I was also looking at were the backgrounds, the demographics of our current providers. And one of the things that stood out to me was that behavioral health providers are a very white profession. In fact, according to Minnesota Department of Health data, 91% of behavioral health providers are white. And I think you and I both know that it's far more than uh, white people who consume behavioral health care. And so that really turned my attention to how do we build a better workforce that's more culturally representative for all of Minnesota? And so that was my idea. And then Mayo Clinic had the proposals that came in to say, if you have an idea that we can fund to help you with a project, let us know. And so last December, I applied to Mayo and they graciously gave me some funds to work on this project that you introduced earlier, which is to help bring more students of color into the behavioral health workforce.
0: Is this unique to Minnesota? You mentioned this shortage of health care workers in terms of mental health in Minnesota, but is it broader than just our state?
1: I would say Minnesota is probably better than most wow. states. And so if you look across the country, there are, there are many states that are in a far worse place than Minnesota is. And I can't stress enough that Minnesota is in a pretty bad spot, actually. But yeah, so Minnesota is in a in a in a better place than our counterparts say in South Dakota, in North Dakota, and even in Wisconsin. And so this issue isn't unique to Minnesota uh, whatsoever.
0: So, in addition to having the shortage of of the mental health workers and access, you also probably have the issue of people of color not being represented in that field as well.
1: Correct. Across the board. Absolutely. And that issue really came to a head over the summer with all the events, you know, starting here in Minnesota with George Floyd, but really spiraling across the entire country. That brought attention to this issue. So even though I had recognized it months ago, I think the disparities kind of really came into focus as people started paying attention and looking more closely at them.
0: Well, I think it it shows even in law enforcement where a lot of times people of color aren't comfortable with white officers for they don't have the trust and I would guess that the same thing is in essence uh, similar in healthcare maybe they would rather see someone who is a person like themselves.
1: Yes, you're absolutely correct. Specifically within behavioral health, because if you think about what behavioral health care is, it's a relationship. It's it's talking, it's building trust, it's processing through things. It's different than surgery. I guess I don't really care what my surgeon looks like. As long you're, as,
0: you're out anyway, so you wouldn't even know. Correct. <laughs> but
1: if I'm going to share my life story and things that are intimate and painful to me, I need to have a level of trust. And what we know, what the research shows us is that You know, patients of color, there is that mistrust of, you know, the white professional. And so this is one way to increase the providers of color to help the the individuals of color who who need that behavioral health care.
0: So recruitment is the key, but that's not your focus. You're not going out and recruiting people. Who are you targeting?
1: Correct, so what we are looking at doing with my project specifically is introducing behavioral health care careers to students of color, so young people of color, because what we also know from career development research is that if you're a young person, you're typically only looking at careers that you know somebody who has been into or that you've seen on TV. And so if you don't see people who look like you doing those careers, it's often not something that you even consider.
0: Well, same thing the women have gone through for for years, too, in terms of becoming astronauts. You see one and then more want to do it. And now with Kamala Harris being a vice president. Uh, so I think that's open doors, too. So it's essentially getting that out there
1: exactly so this project is really geared towards students who are entering you know uh, high school and into higher ed and showing them that there is this field out there that may they may not even know exists and then show them that there are a lot of opportunities and in fact this field needs them and so that's what this project is aimed at doing here locally in the Mankato area
0: is there other research out there like what you're doing going on that you're aware of
1: I know there are other people, lots of people who are looking at solving this problem. I don't know any of specifics, particularly locally here in Minnesota. I mean, lots of people talk about the need to do this. I, I don't know of anybody who's actually doing it. And so this may be kind of a start to something that I hope really takes off not just for Mankato, but for the whole state, because even if we increase our providers here locally, that doesn't solve the problem in Duluth. That doesn't solve the problem in Rochester. And so really this I, I, I see as a an opportunity to showcase if this project works, then where, where else can we replicate it?
0: And it, this is a big project that Nothing that you can do on your own. I assume there's other partners in this, as a lot of times with grants, they want you to collaborate. Are there other that you are bringing in as a part of this?
1: Yes. Our hope is to bring lots of community stakeholders, the, you know, the Greater Mankato Diversity Council, South Central College, the Minnesota State College here on campus, and then also School District 77. And and basically anybody who has access to kids who are thinking about, you know, what they're going to do for a living in the future... I want to get in front of them, and I want to show them that there is these opportunities. And it's not going to be me that shows them I'm a white you know, uh, (laughs) male, I'm not the right person to do this. And so part of my project is also bringing in providers of color so they can share their experiences because they don't need, students don't need another white guy telling them what to do, right? But if I introduce them to my colleagues and my friends who can say, you know, I was once in your chair, had similar life experiences, and now I'm working in this field and this is what I can bring. I mean, that's where you're going to see people who are interested in, in joining them.
0: And this is project is really preliminary right now. You've done some research and doing some things, and so this is sort of a, a kickstart with this grant what goes from here then in terms of what will you develop and then
1: where do you go so our hope is to learn with this project right so the 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 project really has two outcomes one is to get this education in the hands of our local students Um, now
0: are you developing that education with these other partners then
1: correct yep and so the goal would be to partner with providers of color and put on basically a 45-minute presentation then followed by questions and answers so students can see what Healthcare looks like in behavioral health. And then they can potentially see themselves doing that type of work. Not everybody is cut out to be a behavioral healthcare provider. We know that. But there are people out there who want to do this. They just don't even know what it is or how to get started. And so it's our goal with these presentations to show people how to get started in hopes that they do take that first step. And so many projects look at immediate results. This is a project that we probably won't be able to reap the benefits for years down the road. But you have to start somewhere. This problem is so big that you can't solve it overnight. You have to start you know, start small, grow the solution.
0: Do you think you'll be working with legislators or anyone like that, perhaps, to get this out there that they know that this is an issue?
1: Well, I know they know it's an issue. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, they'd have to be living under a rock to <laughs> not understand that we have a mental health provider shortage in Minnesota. Um, However, I I, I hope that this project will show that even just a small investment of time and of resources can produce great results. And I mean, I think that's what's important with research is that you can then replicate it moving forward.
0: One thing in the, your grant that it states, I'm gonna read from it, the impacts of COVID-19 will last long after a vaccine becomes available. Research is showing that the mental health impacts of the pandemic will be around long after the physical symptoms subside, and this will impact everyone, but will impact people of color greater than their white neighbors. So as you mentioned, it sounds like a really long-term project that's gonna be ongoing. We will you be a part of it from the beginning to the end, or do you do wanna it, spark it and other people get involved?
1: You know, that's a great question. I haven't really thought too far ahead. Um, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. True. But uh, for me, I want to make sure this 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 project works. And if it does, then I'm committed to growing it and sharing it. You know, it's not just about me and about the students here in Mankato, but really about our entire profession. Our profession needs uh, more diversity uh, to grow. And as you said, in you know, reading part of my uh, project proposal, Mental health has been an issue prior to this pandemic, but I, what I don't think people quite understand is that long after, as you read, that we're you know we've been vaccinated and we kind of make jokes about it. Mental health problems—that's when we're going to see that sharp increase. For a lot of mental health problems, there's a a period of time that it lies dormant before it really starts to pop uh, to pop up. And so, I'm trying to sound the alarm to as many people as I can that we can't forget that there's going to be a lasting effect on people's you know psychological well-being after this.
0: You've been in this business of mental health for quite some time. Talk a little bit about when you started and why you decided to get involved.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I like talking about it, actually. And so I grew up on a small farm in in southwestern Minnesota, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I actually joined the Army. Um, It was pre-9-11, and uh, I I thought, what a great opportunity to see the world. And so I went into the Army, and uh, after I had come home, I realized I wanted to help people, but maybe not necessarily with a weapon anymore. And so, so you
0: did serve. I did, Where yeah. Where did you serve?
1: I served overseas in a couple of different locations. And like I said, coming home, I realized I wanted to help people but didn't want to do it with a weapon anymore. And so for me, it was about how do I give back? And, you know, mental health really spoke to me about this is a great opportunity to use my skills as talking and communicating. And uh, I started getting into the business and fell in love with it immediately. And, uh, you know, I worked in a variety of settings before taking my job here at uh, MSU. I worked at the state hospital in St. Peter. I worked at a community health mental health center for a number of years and even ended up directing that center. And so, but I always wanted to teach. I always wanted to share my knowledge with the next generation, but I figured I had to get about 10 years of experience before I had any credibility. So I worked about 10 years in the field and the last six I've spent uh, training the next generation of behavioral health providers.
0: When you were in the service, did you see some of the effects of a person in that suffering from PSTD and that sort of thing? Is Did that have an influence on what you decided to do in terms of being ha- able to help others?
1: I watched a number of people close to me suffer from the consequences, mm-hmm. uh, the psychological consequences of serving. And uh, that absolutely impacted, you know, the direction I wanted to go. Um, and, you know... Thankfully, you know, I didn't serve at a time like, you know, prior generations had served where people minimized people's service and things like that. You know, when we got home, everybody was welcomed home with open arms. But I also feel like we didn't fully anticipate the psychological issues that would have stemmed from, you know, being at war for uh, now two decades. And so most definitely my involvement in the military has kind of shaped my my view of the profession of behavioral health. But it's 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 much more than that. It's just people are struggling and people are experiencing challenges and you know if i can help people just one person then i feel like it's it's been worth it and my role as an educator i actually serve thousands of people who i'll never meet because i get to train the people that will serve them and so for me this is uh, there's no greater calling to to this entire profession
0: well when you were actually in the business yourself doing probably counseling one-on-one that Mm -hmm. sort of thing were there other counselors that were of color, or were they all like you?
1: You know, uh, they were far and few between. Uh, I won't say there were none, but I would say that 90% uh, that the health Mm -hmm. department has suggested seems to make a whole lot of sense to me. And it's again, it's because, Growing up, I saw people who worked in behavioral health. You know, my mom went to school for behavioral health. And so I knew this was a a field that I could get into. But so many students, uh, they don't see that. And so then they don't even know that this is a a realistic option for them.
0: We're going on a year now of, of this pandemic and people being secluded and all that sort of thing. As a professional in the field now you're teaching have you noticed an uptick or heard about that in your studies of people's mental health being more affected severely because of this?
1: Oh, this is having an impact on mental health unlike anything we've seen and not not just in my career but in the history of kind of looking at things. It's very scary that isolation piece. I mean the antidote for, you know, not feeling well is connecting with people and when you can't do that, you know, literally can't connect with people, people's mental health worsens and people who may have been healthy before are starting to experience those symptoms and so it's um it's bad out there. I just wrote an op-ed that was published in the Free Press that looked at crises for children, mental health crises for children. And I, I pointed out a statistic that came out of the Journal of American Medicine that basically said that psychiatric calls for suicide in children are up 1,000% oh, wow. over the past year. Uh, I, I don't think people quite realize that, but a 1,000% increase in you know suicide calls for children. And again, as I mentioned before, I don't mean to be all doom and gloom, but I don't see it getting better. Um, before it probably ends up getting worse. And that's why growing the next generation of providers is so important because these aren't just going, mental health problems aren't just going to be vaccinated and gone. They they are a process that people have to go through.
0: And the way mental health is being delivered is different. I have a son who sees somebody, he's on the autism spectrum and he's got some issues. So he sees it, the, what do you call it, the tele- telemedicine. And yeah. so things are being developed in terms of uh, delivered differently as well. So that's something people have been had to adjust to.
1: Correct. You know, of all the bad things that have come from COVID-19, and they far outweigh the positives, there <laughs> have been positives. And one of those is, is our technology around delivering health care, particularly behavioral health care over, you know, uh, ITV services or the computer have increased. Now, that's still it's not perfect because there are people even listening to this radio station this morning who don't have access to high-speed internet, and so while the advancements are a positive sign, it doesn't completely solve all of our problems. And so, but yeah, you're correct that 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 is one of the benefits that we've seen is that more people can access different providers uh, over a, over a television screen.
0: Do you think that advancement might be useful in terms of getting more? folks involved in the mental health business that they can provide it over, I guess, Zoom or whatever it's called in your office?
1: I do. I think that that increases access for everyone. But the other thing with mental health is it's kind of back to that, you know, a white provider doesn't really know the life experience of a, you know, a person of color who is their client or their patient. The same would be true as if I was a provider in Edina, I don't know what life is like in St. James. I don't know what it's like to be on a dairy farm, you know, out in Wasika. And so I think it's so important that, you know, you, your provider needs to be someone who can relate to you and someone who can kind of understand your lived experience. And so while telemedicine allows, you know, us to connect with a larger audience, it still doesn't take, it doesn't, doesn't generate that same relationship that can have if, if you share some kind of common life experiences.
0: We are talking with Thad Schunkweiler, who is an assistant professor here at Minnesota State University, the Department of Health Science in the College of Allied Health and Nursing, about a project that he is has got a grant for from Mayo Clinic to introduce behavioral health care careers to students of color within our community. And as your proposal writes that you are going to be starting with four educational presentations within the community on careers. And so when does that part start?
1: Yeah, we're hoping to host those presentations this fall. And part of the reason for the delay is hopes that we can maybe do more of them in person. That's really my hope. Now, that obviously, we don't get to decide that. Uh, COVID kind of does what it wants to do in that regards. But kind of delaying this to the fall is in our is our hope to get more people involved and to bring more people to actually physically together.
0: Is there a place someone can look to find out more about your information or your research?
1: Yeah, so you can go to the College of Allied Health and Nursing's webpage and find the different faculty profiles that are online there. Or I welcome anybody who has interest in what I'm doing to simply just send me an email. I'm uh, very accessible. I don't live in some fancy ivory tower. I, uh, I, I really, I re- the, the best part about working for an institution like MSU is that I really feel part of this community and, and really try to engage with as many people about the work that I'm doing as possible. And so you can look up my email at MSU and and you can definitely shoot me an email and I'd be happy to chat in detail about what we're working on.
0: Well, your name isn't exactly easy. It's Thad Schunkweiler, so. uh,
1: Yeah, so it would be Thad, T-H-A-D dot Schunkweiler, S-H-U-N-K-W-I-L-E-R at M-N-S-U dot
0: Or as he mentioned, go to the Minnesota State University website, mnsu.edu and check under College of Allied Health and Nursing. Well, it certainly sounds like you've got some great research to go on and go ahead with this proposal, and I really wish you success, and I hope you'll keep us informed and up-to-date as things progress because it just seems like such an important thing to to take care of.
1: Absolutely. I hope to be able to come back after we've uh, done the presentations and share a little bit about what we've learned and kind of what our next steps might be.
0: All right, very good. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. This has been Community Stories with Professor Thad Stunkweiler here at Minnesota State University, Mankato.